Well, we're continuing our series, God's Design for a Healthy Church. We're looking at 12 characteristics of what makes a healthy church. We take it from Scripture and we're highlighting those characteristics and qualities that are important. And um, last week, we looked at the, ordin- at the uh, characteristics of ordinances, prayer, and giving. And um, you can see them there on top. We're, we're, all of it's related to our worship of God. And when we uh, see in the book of Acts how the apostles were faithful to God's word and to his purpose, they had one central focus that they were committed to, and that's to know him and then to make him known. And that should be our focus. That should be our purpose, to know him and to make him known. Now, when we look at these, uh, we looked at the ordinances, and we said ordinances were authoritative orders of the Lord Jesus. And those are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And we routinely uh, practice those. And the key point in those was to remember me. The baptism, we're buried with Christ in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. We're crucified and identified with Christ and how we remember his, his death, burial, and resurrection. The Lord's Supper, same way that the Broken bread is his body. The grape juice that we drink is his blood. And so we remember him. This do in remembrance of me. Then we looked at prayer and especially corporate prayer. Hopefully each and every one of you are having your time of individual prayer, private prayer in the confines of your home. Um, Talking to Boyd, he even has it on his bulldozer sometimes. But it's personal time with God, reading his word and listening to his love letter, his love for you in his word and things that he wants for us. And then corporate prayer, how vital that is and what a privilege and a power that is. The time that we had in our congregational prayer, Wednesday night we have our time of prayer how powerful that is. And we're seeing God do amazing things, good things to report. And um, we do are reminded, Jesus wants us to talk to me, speak to me. Let me know what you're thinking. I've spoken to you in my word. I speak to you in my spirit. You speak to me. And he desires that. We see some of the things in the book of Acts and we're amazed. And this is a reminder to have the results as they had in the book of Acts. We need to pray as they prayed in the book of Acts. And that's, that's the fervent believing prayer. Now, when we look at God's design, we also looked at giving, and we emphasized and, and talked about tithing and those things, tithes and offering, as, as we've just taken up here, how poor, important that is. And really, it's an act of worship. Um, I told you, you know, we have our checkbooks, we have our wallets. Um, if there was a trial and you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence for you being a Christian? Well, they just need to look at my checkbook and they would convict me. And that's an important thing. But it's a way of honoring him. We talked about that. As we talk about our giving and the use of what's been entrusted to us, um, I think of this passage in Revelation I'm going to read to you here. And it's uh, I, I entitled this Tears in Heaven. It's a little confusing, but I want you to, to hear it. And it starts in Revelation 21. And it says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, 
Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe wipe away every tear from their eye, and there shall no longer be any death, there shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And so I struggle with this. And I said, why are there tears in heaven that he has to wipe away? You know, we die and then we're reunited to the Lord. Why would there be any tears? And I want to show you this. This is a scene from Schindler's List. 1993 Oscar-winning movie. And this scene takes place at the end of the movie. Oscar Schindler was a German industrialist who had had basically created a factory for the German war effort and um, enlisted Holocaust Jews, Jews who were destined for the death camps, and he used them as his laborers. And he compiles this list. That's where the the uh, movie gets its uh, title from Schindler's List. He created a list of these Jewish workers that were going to be his laborers. And they he protects them. He uses bribes and all of that to keep the SS out and that he's able to have this great business going. And um, But he protects them. Here is the end of the movie. We're getting very close. The war is over. The battles are over. Um, the Schindler Jews are there around Oscar Schindler, and they're going to say goodbye to him. He's going to go to the advancing armies, turn himself in. They wrote a letter for him, and this way they will be favorable towards this once Nazi sympathizer that they have this letter, and he's going to meet them. But I want you to notice the interaction between the gentleman who was his accountant and Oscar Schindler. And he is going to, they're going to present him with a little ring in remembrance of what he did. And then he's going to have a, cha- a perspective. And he's, it's going to be hard to hear, but I want you to know, he's going to say, I could have gotten one, I could have gotten more. He's going to say to him, I could have gotten more Jews out. I could have protected them. But I say this and some of the perspective that he has to how he views his money and his resources. So let's watch this. Hebrew from the Talmud that says whoever saves one life saves the world entire. Idea. If I just. 
situations because of what you did. I didn't do enough. You did so much. This car. Oh God, what about this car? Why did I keep the car? Ten people right there. Ten people. Ten more people. This pin. Two people. This is gold. Two more people. You would have given me two for at least one. You would have given me one. One more. One more person. I could have got one more person. And I didn't. And I didn't. <laughs> that's none of us in heaven what we could have done more what was entrusted to us especially the money that was entrusted to us as well as our gifts and talents and the time I pray that there's no regrets when we stand before the Lord it's very sobering and you might say Todd, why do you always show these movies? I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. Yeah, I'll get some popcorn maybe. But I'm trying to connect the culture that we're in and some of the truths that we see are related to biblical truth. We talked about chariots of fire last week, this, this week. Uh, if I see it in the culture, and I'm going to identify it because there's, there's a, a, a learning moment there. There's a teaching moment. We can gain something from it. That's why I bring it in. And so I'm not trying to entertain you, but to contemplate these things. Then you see it in the culture. You might see a movie and see that's a declaration of truth. And even though our culture is messed up, it's like a broken watch. It's right twice a day. Okay, but we can get truth and we need to be attentive when we see it. That's why I share it with you. But the, a key financial truth is this. The most important thing is to keep the most important thing the most important thing. But it's not about things. It's about people. And we always need to keep that in mind. Your sacrificial giving to the work of God is not about things. Even though these things are important, ultimately it's about people. And we're going to have no regrets when we stand before the throne of God and say... Lord, I honored you what was entrusted to me. Use it to your glory. And we, last week we touched on this. As the Lord declares, those who honor me, I will honor. It's a spiritual law of the universe. Honor the Lord and he will honor you. Looking now, we're going on to the uh, 12 characteristics. This week, we're in membership and discipline. Again, these are two topics that fit hand in glove with one another. I'm amazed at how they're kind of, when we present them, they fit together. And we see in Acts 2.42, we've been using this passage. It's been a template for us. 
And it says this, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continue with one and Mind, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. We've covered many of those characteristics in this charter already, but we're going to look at God's design for healthy church, looking at membership. Now, I understand in our culture that Americans are very individualistic, aren't we? We take that as a, a sense of pride, like to be able to uh, pull, our, pull ourselves by our own bootstraps and, and be very independent. But what the problem with that is it has crept into the church and we uh, live our Christian lives as the lone ranger and we try to do life on our own. And that was never God's design. He has designed us to be one with another. At least the Lone Ranger had, a, had Tonto. But there are Christians that want nothing to do with the church. And yet they, they'll say they love Jesus and this, but they don't want anything to do with other Christians. Now some of it I can understand. How about this? To live above with the saints I love, oh, wouldn't that be glory? But to live below with the saints I know, well, that's another story. <laughs> Ouch. That hurts. But it's true. You can understand. Some people are very strange and wonderful. It's kind of like my relationship with my wife. Uh, we have a strange and wonderful relationship. I'm strange. She's wonderful. And so we just get along. So, But that's the way it is in the church. Some people are different. But you learn to appreciate and value them. That's God's design. So when we look at membership, it's the state of or status of being a member. And in 1 Corinthians, it talks about now you're Christ's body and individually members of it. And when we look at it, we have the church universal. We've talked about the, the universal church around the world today. We are a member of that if we're in Christ, we're a member of that. But that has a spiritual connotation to it. It's hard to get your uh, hand around this global universal church. Well, that's because he's given us the local church. And it's physically identifiable within the community. When you look at your Bible and you get to Romans, that was a letter Paul wrote to the Roman church. First and second Corinthians. That was a letter that he sent to the Corinthian church. Galatia. That's a region in northern Turkey. It's a region and he wrote to the individual churches there. Um, Ephesians in Ephesus. Uh, Philippians was the church at Philippi. And so each of these are identifiable local, local churches that Paul was writing to. They were meeting in a community. Today, in our study of Titus, 
was in with Nini Whitehead teaching. We Titus went to Crete, and he was uh, raising up uh, elders for the various uh, churches on the island of Crete. So it was a local church that God was using, developing, and so we see this, and that those in those local churches were part of it. Here's a good definition of church membership, if you want it. It's a voluntary association to a local community of born-again believers, lovingly committed to Christ, his word, and to one another. Born-again believers, committed to Christ, his word, and one another. A little acrostic here to help you as we go through this topic of and how it's important. First one being, it is important. It's meaningful. It is extremely important to the Lord Jesus. He purchased the church with his own blood. He refers to the church as his bride. My bride is very important to me. His bride is very important to him. So we should not downplay the identification with the local church because it's important to the Lord Jesus. It is an exclusive identification. It is exclusive for believers. This is not a social club. And it's important that we recognize that it is for believers. And we'll talk a little bit about membership and what that means and about being a believer. But it is not a social club. I'm a, I'm a member of Rotary Club, Rotary International. It's a great club, great organization. They do great things, but it's not a church. Okay, it's not a church. This is exclusive for believers. In that church, there's mutual love, commitment, and support. That should be a characteristic of the church. And that's what we communicate one to another. And it's the Bible is presented, the teaching, the preaching, um, the training is so important. And that's where the equipping goes on. The works of service. My job is not to do the work. My job is to equip you for works of service. And hopefully that's what we're getting as a church. In our Sunday schools, in our fellowship one with another, we're doing these things. Um, We have responsibilities. We have those of our leaders here. They They have the responsibility to lead the local church. Um, in a servant leadership style. And you're to be commended, men, for your leadership. Our deacons are leading. And then others are to follow, fit in with the direction. And then we're to submit one to another, recognizing that we all submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And the church becomes the primary conduit for sharing the gospel. In, In a few short minutes, we'll share the gospel with everyone. And have a chance to respond to it. But that is important in our sharing the gospel. That this is a place where the gospel can be presented. As well as you're equipped how to share it yourself. And then we hold high standards. We have mutual accountability. That's one of the benefits of of membership. Is that we hold each other. And we willingly allow ourselves to be held to a high standard. And that's important. And then... We go from individual focus, Lone Ranger Christianity, to a one another 
focused, that we're looking out for the needs of one another and how important that is. And then we've talked about this earlier, but the power in corporate prayer. What a benefit when we can all gather as a local church praying for the things that are important uh, to God and to, as a result to us. When we look at the membership process here at Cash Eye, how does that happen? Maybe you're hearing this and you've been coming here for a while and you wanna, you're thinking about being a member. Well, there's a process to it and it starts with indicate interest to a pastor or a deacon and say, oh, you know, I've been coming here for a while. I'd like to be a member. That starts the ball rolling. And then what we'll do is we'll meet with a pastor and a deacon. We'll take time to meet with you and it's really a, a, an exciting experience. And what we do there, it's a time of discovery. You might know a lot about the church, but the church might not know a lot about you. We're just asking questions about you and, and finding out what your interests are, where, where you're from, um, relationships that you have. Uh, hearing your God story. How did God become a reality in your life? When did you trust Christ to be your Savior? Remember, we talked about uh, it was exclusively for believers. That's what we're trying to determine. Are you, in fact, a follower? A, a Have you trusted Christ to be your Savior? Are you, in fact, saved? Are you a believer? Is it just up here or is it in here? And that's what we do. So it's time of discovery. Then it's a time of discipleship and that we find out what are your interests? What do you feel like your gifts are? Where would you like to serve the Lord in our church? You know, we don't just come here and, and spectate. We are, this is a church of participation. We, we do the work of ministry and we want to find out where would you find that you, you feel you're gifted. We want to do that. And then we talk about some details, how we're going to receive you. You'll come down front. We'll uh, introduce you and then we'll have the right hand of fellowship. We'll put on it. Just some of the practical details. That's the membership process. It's not very threatening, but it's important that we have it. And this is where Southern, Southern Baptists particularly have been extremely disciplined, is that we have what we call a regenerate membership. You sometimes wonder, how do certain churches do what they do and have the views that they have? Well, because quite honestly, many of them are not saved. They're in a church... It's a social gathering. It's a club. But I, I would dare say many of them are unsaved because of the choices they make. They're inconsistent with the word of God. So Baptists have been very good about having a regenerate membership, making sure that you have made that decision to trust Christ as your Savior. And we look at discipline, how this fits in. As a member, I um, I yield myself to the leadership of the church and to those and how important it is. And when we look at um, discipline, there's two aspects. One, one is a positive one, holding high standards, and we encourage one another to live godly lives. And that's a positive. And then there's negative there's correction involved. And sometimes that correction can be very painful. There's three biblical examples I want to give you. And one's Matthew 18, 15. The Lord Jesus tells us about this. And he says, if your brother sins against you, go and reprove him in private. Okay, we talked about that in differences with another person. But this is when a person sins. If your brother sins against you, go to him. 
And then look what happens as a result of that confrontation of, of exercising discipline. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Now, Matthew 18 goes on, 15, 16, 17 go on to say, now, if he doesn't listen to you, get someone else, address it, confront him. And if he doesn't listen to the two of you, then you go and bring it before the church. Painful, but purposeful. Then we look at Acts 5, 1 through 11, where the, it, it, in its immediate context with what's happening in the early church, look what happens. Ananias and Sapphira, um, this discipline, they take uh, their, their property, they sell it, and they present the money to the church. But they held some of it back, which was their complete right. And Peter confronts him and says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Later on in that passage, he says to Sapphira, did you sell the land for such and such a price? And she says, yes. And she lies. Both of them end up dying. It's pretty strict discipline. But God had a purpose in it. And there's a result. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. It had a purifying effect in this early church. They weren't going to do things the way they did them in Judaism. There was a standard here. It's painful. And this is probably the most extreme version of it. But then we look in the case of incest in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, look, the heathen don't even do that. Uh, a, a man had his, his stepmother as his wife. Heathen don't even live like that. And so Paul's advice, his discipline was remove the wicked man from yourselves. This is called excommunication or Putting them out of the fellowship, ouch, that's pretty darn painful. If he would not listen, he did not listen at the time. It's putting them out of the church. Fortunately, in Second Corinthians, the results, he repents, he comes back, and, he, and Paul says, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. So here was once one in error, you put him out, he comes to his senses, and now he wants to be restored. What appears to be a bad thing was a good thing, and that's where discipline has its proper place and produces proper results. The goal of church discipline is restoration. Thanks be to God. It's not about punishment. It's about restoring the relationship. When you have your child and you discipline them. It's not that you want to be mean to your child. No, you want to restore them to have that right relationship with you and obeying you. And so the same thing with our Heavenly Father. He wants to restore us. Now here at Cashi Baptist, we have procedures for this in place. And if there are gross violations of the Constitution or covenants, there's provisions. Let me give you an example. Uh, a denial of a doctrinal truth. What if you had a Sunday school teacher? You're sitting there this morning in Sunday school, and the teacher said, Jesus is not God. That's basically against our covenant. And so, what do we do? Oh, that's good. You just, we lovingly go along. We'll talk. Everyone has a view. No, that's a, that's a direct violation to the word of God, and that needs to be addressed. That person shouldn't be teaching or a Sunday school. And if they're unrepentant, 
they need to be asked to leave because they're not saved. A, a saved person can't say that. Here's one more practical. Um, no append- attendance for over a year. That's in your constitution. Oh, my goodness. I know a lot of people like that. Yeah, we do. Here's the procedure. We investigate it, and we determine if it's a legitimate excuse or do we have to bring it up to a congregational vote. Shelton and Joan Leggett, our neighbors right here, they're dear people. They cannot get out of the home. In fact, Blunt takes his class there the first Sunday of every month to have church with them or Sunday school with them. That's a legitimate excuse. No one expects them to be here in those conditions. Completely excusable. But if you have a person who wants to use his membership here at Cashi Baptist as kind of a shield, a protection. You know, I ask people about their church background, and I've told you, the thing I'm finding out here is that people will say, yeah, I'm a member at Piney Grove Baptist Church. Okay, when was the last time you were there? Okay, they use that as an excuse. And the worst thing we can do is allow people to use their membership as a, as a mask, as a shield, a protection that you don't need to speak to me about, about spiritual things. I'm a member. The question comes up, which church saves when we talk about membership? Which church saves? And then you see, well, preacher, the Southern Baptists, they're the best. And you know, our Episcopalian neighbors will say, oh, Episcopalian church saves. And Catholics, oh, the Catholic church is the true church. I have news for you. No church saves. Absolutely no church saves. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who saves. The church it might be the instrument that that gospel message gets out, but it's Christ who does the saving. So don't let people hide behind membership inappropriately. You're a member. You have responsibilities and privileges as being a member. But if you're not attending, we need to find out why. Is there hurt? Is there something that's gone on? And as you address it, we saw some of the results can be very positive. No one cared about me. No one came and talked to me. And you took the effort to go and talk to them. You can restore them to fellowship. And that you care. Remember, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And when we do that, that's the greatest illustration of our caring for them. It becomes very important. So we talked about membership and and how God designed local church. And how it's important for us to be a part of that visible representation of the community of believers here. And if you're not a member, let me encourage you to consider membership. It's very, very important because there are responsibilities and privileges one with another to be encouraged and trained and to walk in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then when we have to use discipline, we do it lovingly with the purpose and intent of restoration. That's God's design. And if a church exercises that, man, that's great. But we've talked about some of these characteristics of healthy church this morning. And as we do, this is directed to you as believers. But someone might be here and not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And one of the things that the church is about, the local church is about, is about communicating the gospel, about how God loves us so very much. For the scriptures tell us, though, that all of us have sinned and broken God's standard of righteousness. Each and every one of us have shaken our fist in the face of a holy God. How long do you think he'll tolerate that? He can't even look on sin. We're lawbreakers. We're violators of the holiness of God. Yet, God loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took our place on the cross because there's a price for sin and that price for sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Death is separation. When we die, the body separates from the spirit. When we are eternally uh, dead uh, spiritually, our spirit is separated from God. He came to pay that penalty, that price for our sins. And as a result, we can be reconciled to God. That's what the church is about, is communicating that message of reconciliation to a holy God. And that's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary Cross. And how do I partake or, or, or receive that gift of salvation? Remember, I'm a simple guy. It's ABCs. I admit that I've sinned. I believe that Christ paid the penalty of my sin. He paid my fine. And I see, call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Would you save me? If you pray that prayer, I can assure you he will save you. So simple, the children over in our Sunday school, in the children's worship, can learn that. So complex, theologians spend years working on degrees and writing papers and books about it. We can't get to the depth of that. But it's a gift that's presented to you. And all you have to do is, by faith, receive that gift. Admit you're a sinner, believe Christ died on the cross, and ask him to save you, and he's, he will. While we're here, let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Don't look around. I'm going to invite you now. If you are not a Christian and you say, well, that, that makes sense. I understand the, what Christ came for and that I, I've done wrong. I'm, I could admit, I, I know I've done a lot wrong. And you want to be saved. Let me lead you in a prayer. Pray this prayer to trust Christ to be your Savior. Dear God, I believe what I heard today, that I am a sinner, that I've done wrong. I've disobeyed you, done what I shouldn't and didn't do what I should. But I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty of that sin, the fine. And it says in your word, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And with you, Lord Jesus, you died and paid that. I call on you now, Lord. Would you save me? Would you forgive me of my sins? And would you give me eternal life now and forever? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Keep your heads down. Keep your heads down. If you've prayed that prayer this morning, would you please raise your hand? I'd be happy to talk to you about that. If you've prayed that prayer, I'd be happy to talk to you. Okay? That's wonderful. Thank you. Let's 
And now you might have a need in your life and you want God to meet that need. And you have a silent request. If you, if you would raise your hand, if you have a, a, a silent request that you would like me to pray for you to God, you don't have to tell me what it is, but you have a, a burden on your heart for someone, something, just raise your hand and we'll pray for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, you've seen the raised hands of people who are burdened for another person, another uh, situation. And we pray that, Lord, in this act of faith, raising their hands to you, you know what that need is. And I pray that you would be the God of answered prayer who answers and will work out these things mightily. We pray, Father, that we'll see your hand at work and give you the praise and the glory. Amen. You can look up. Okay, we're going to close with our hymn of invitation. If you'd like to visit with me about uh, church membership, about uh, a decision for salvation, or even these silent requests that we've raised, and you want to pray with someone, I'll be here to meet you, ready to discuss it with you, pray with you as the Lord leads. Jonathan. Thank you for your attention, and let's dismiss with this benediction. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be power and glory forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed.